2020 has been a year of many things. Okay, fine. Really, just one thing. Two things if you include the US election. But the weirdest thing that 2020 has become the year of is QR codes. Those little black and white grids that you have to photograph when you go inside a cafe or restaurant, they have been around for years. So why, in the age of COVID, have they become our go-to tech? Plus, can artificial intelligence tell you if you have COVID just from the sound of your cough? And I've given up on hover cars, but maybe we can still get holograms in our future. All that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show, and we are joined by freelance technology journalist and the host of uh, my elite, like, I'm going to say like my third or fourth favourite podcast of the year, just because there's been a lot this year. <laughs> such, a, <laughs> such a terrible way of introducing somebody. No, uh, I'll the, take that. He's the host of Meta, which is a podcast about podcasts. Peter Wells, welcome oh, back to you, Download Mark. This Show. Sorry, it's like the most negging way of introducing somebody. <laughs> hey, listen, we- listen, look. This is, this is without a doubt my third favourite tech show to be on, so thank you so much. <laughs> Do we beat the Verge cast at the very least? <laughs> no, look, completely understand. There are so many podcasts out there. I know that more than anyone because I have to write about them every week and, yeah, it's very hard to pick a favourite. <laughs> Peter Wells is on the show and hopefully we'll still come back after I introduced him that way. And Jesse Hughes, creative technologist, welcome back to Download This Show. Thanks so much, Mark. I'll take, like, fourth favourite or second, second oh favourite. You know, this is... <laughs> Oh, you really, a, you know, open up a bag of worms here. <laughs> a smart host would have just restarted the show and <laughs> not kept that part in. But I am not that host. Um, look, I should point out that uh, we are recording this a few days before the US election. So if the world is on fire right now, we are blissfully unaware. And hopefully listening to this will um, we'll make you remember fonder times. Those times being Tuesday. Uh, now, one thing that has been really prevalent this year is the rise of QR codes. Who would have thought... Peter, in 2020, the mm. QR codes would finally have come into their own. Why is it that QR codes has become the go-to technology for, for contract tracing at, at every cafe and restaurant around the country? Why did that happen? Well, I guess because COVID Safe turned out to be not that great an app. Uh, it, it's very frustrating, don't you think, that we have, we've spent all of this money on this, this one centralised app that has all of the guardrails in place, all of the privacy in place to make sure that our data isn't being used or, you know, thrown into a marketing database and all of those kind of things. We checked all of that. We made COVID safe. It doesn't work because it doesn't work on iPhones in the background. Uh, and so now we're left with uh, scanning in everywhere we go. And, of course, because there is no national framework for that, who knows what's happening to the, the location data we're giving away in that instance. So, Jesse, why is it that QR codes became... Because, a, I mean, there were barcodes. There are other mm-hmm. ways in which you could check mm-hmm. in. Why is it the QR codes just became the thing that everybody flicked to? So we're talking about efficiency, ultimately. Like, So the barcode, um, if we go back to the 1990s, which is when the, the QR code was kind of invented, barcodes were around, but they are 2D. So if you imagine reading from left to right, right? So that's one dimension. What a QR code does is you add a second dimension. So you go left to right, top to bottom. So you've actually now got a grid of information. So pretty much what it allows is more information to be stored. The design was actually inspired by the Chinese Go board, which so goes like a game like checkers or chess. Yeah, and so this was developed um, in Japan in like the 1994 around then. Um, this awesome guy 
um, who was working for DensoWave, and he wanted to be able to have a compact way to store an immense amount of information. This is when manufacturing was taking off. We had all these all these manufacturing you know companies taking off, and they needed to be able to store lots of information in a quick and easy way. So back in like 2012, around then, you had to actually have an app to mm. be able to read a QR code, and that was a whole thing of like you'd have to go to the app store, download a QR QR code reader, then open mm. up that app to then scan a photo, right? In around 2017, Apple actually embedded a QR reader into their like their new update, which was a massive step forward in terms of uh, making QR codes accessible to like America and different audiences because they had been used across Asia um, with like WeChat and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, when Apple kind of brought it out in 2017, that's when it became the QR code re- scanner was actually in our pockets. So it made it a lot easier. Mm. I sometimes find it faster to just type a link, right? And we have a whole bunch of URL shortening services out there. So I'm like, I don't have seen tinyurl or bit.ly where you can have like bit.ly.jessiehughes.com.au or whatever, you know, so you can skip ahead. And so instead of having www. you know, a URL, you can actually just have this small thing to take you to it faster. And that's what a QR code is trying to do. It's trying to get you to a place faster. So and then you talk about compatibility with phones and devices and then you've got adoption and then you've got user education. So then they have to be able to understand to know to scan their phone. And then you've got, so there's a whole bunch of um, steps behind it. Um, but the pandemic has made it in the public eye and has been making sure that people are needing to, you know, you have been forced to do it. So that's kind of a good way towards adoption. Mm. <laughs> Force. <laughs> Peter, does somebody mm. own it? Like does somebody own uh, the, the rights to it? Not that I'm aware of. That's a great question. I, I, it was funny listening to that history because I do remember when, when suddenly every billboard had a QR code, but it mm. was at that time when uh, they were so annoying to get to. You, you, know, you didn't know which app to download and some were full of ads and some were awful experiences. But, yeah, you're right. Were, like, what, once uh, Jesse's right. Once the QR code was kind of built into uh, the camera, the official camera app, and then the camera app was quick to access on the lock screen as well. I think that was that was the other step that you needed to be able to just quickly jump in. I find them fine and fast to use. Um, in terms of ownership, <clears throat> it's a really interesting one. Uh, th- there is a standard QR code, and then there are kind of ones that you mentioned WeChat, Snapchat it has its own version. Uh, Apple are actually coming out with their own version that will launch like mini apps. So there are there are variations on a theme, but uh, for the most part, yeah, the, the, the ones that we're seeing uh, for, for COVID are a standard. The difference is that uh, there are some that are officially kind of sanctioned by the uh, by New South Wales government. They're the, they're the only ones who have really got a centralised version of this. So if you go into um, a uh, a hardware store that looks like Hammer Barn, for instance, <laughs> I know that they're using um, the very specific reference using... to people with small children. <laughs> exactly, everyone knows what I'm talking about. They're they're using the official uh, New South Wales rollout, uh, which is quite good for in terms of your privacy and things like that. Um, other places can just be downloading QR codes from any random marketing generator, and that's that's where I'm a little bit worried. The reason I ask about who owns it is simply because it strikes me that there's a few key turning points in technology history where the fact that something is freely available, so like MP3s, RSSs, and things like that, the fact that these mm. things were available to everyone meant that suddenly take-up could be huge because it wasn't sort of tied up in, in intellectual property. And I just wonder if QR codes have, like, reached this very particular moment where the fact that they 
it seems at least that there's not well, whoever does own it certainly isn't uh, isn't it isn't reigning in its use. The fact that it is so open is probably why it's become the go-to as opposed to what I'm sure is a dozen other available options. Does that like does that argument stack up, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, like I've used QR code generators websites before. Um, it's the same as using Bitly, like I was talking about before. It's just a generator. It's just a way to be able to create a link to a different platform. So I think definitely, like it's it's in the user's hands, which is great. It should be. It's just about ease of use. I think what we're going to see, and what I hope so from like the designer in me, I just want them to be prettier. Like I want I want there to be a skin on top so that the technology still works underneath. You still have the grid underneath, but in terms of a visual aesthetic, it is something that a user doesn't have to see, you know, the behind the scenes that they could just have an image or have a have a logo even um, and be able to open up. Look, I just am not sold on the digital <laughs> aesthetic, okay? This is the creative part of your creative technologies job. Yeah, I get. I See, I actually pretty. quite like the aesthetic and, and maybe that's because, like, I never fully escaped the, like, the, the Matrix era of tech aesthetics, but I quite like the look and feel of it. Like, it does look like it's from the Matrix. Like, if you were mm-hmm. a beauty brand or if you were, like, if you were a, a, a pretty brand, you're not going to be wanting to put this Matrix-esque imagery on your thing like maybe it's easy to have an image so look <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm, thinking- just, I'm hung up on the part where you don't think I'm a beauty brand like is <laughs> Mark, I think you're the face of you're the face of the ABC loves you. You look great. <laughs> Dig I'm up, Jesse. I reckon you're, you're I reckon... The, the third prettiest face they have on you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Peter, you're about to say something. I was just going to say, yeah, embed them into those those old magic eye pictures uh, that we used to see. I, I think that's great. Is there anything you'd like to change about QR codes, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, in terms of the current rollout, the current use as as a COVID check in system, I just want want that to be uh, used for that purpose and that purpose only in in the same way that covid safe stores the data for 14 days and then uh, gets gets rid of it so there's no ongoing record of of you uh, I, I would love to see that kind of legislation uh, passed and it's it's kind of frustrating that right now we're only doing it at a state level it's it's been up to the states to kind of make sure that uh, these QR codes are being rolled out. So there isn't kind of a national framework and, and it's all there. It's all just sitting in, in all the legislation they wrote for COVID safe. So I just wish that, uh, yeah, someone would get on board and, uh, and put in some privacy uh, guardrails there. How about you, Jesse? I want it to automatically open, right? So where right now, when you have your phone and you put it over it, it pops up with a notification saying like, would you like to open in Safari or whatever? I just wanted to do it. Like I'm putting my camera there over <laughs> it on purpose. I know we're talking about milliseconds here, but when you are talking about digital user experiences and for like global adoption, milliseconds is the difference in a user experience. And so I think like if we put the phone over it, it automatically opens it up. You go straight to the page. I think that's going to make it a lot easier for people because I have seen um, like older users putting their phones over it, the, the notification pops up and they think that that is, that's them signed in, like that's it. But no, that's just the notification to press on it to open up Safari to then put in your details. So yeah, right. little these little millisecond things, like I, yeah, the designer in me is like, we need to fix them. But I think, you know, it's doing pretty well. <laughs> Well, I mean, iOS 14 did get an update to make uh, open, opening your uh, phone when your mask was on faster. So, yeah, that, that's See, a yeah. great point. There you go. Yeah. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. You are hearing the voices of Jesse Hughes, creative technologist, and Peter Wells, freelance tech journalist and the host of the podcast Meta, amongst other things, which in the last ooh, 10 minutes has risen from my third favourite podcast. 
my second podcast. <laughs> Can it make Amazing. it to number one by the end of the episode? No. Stay tuned. Let's find out. Uh, interesting news out of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. God, Massachusetts is hard to say. He's hard to say. <laughs> uh, Jesse, apparently that they're experimenting with artificial intelligence to see mm-hmm. if it can listen to the sound of your cough and tell you if you have the bad virus. AI is saving the world, being like AI is AI is just the future for everything. Right um, up until the moment right. it kills us. Let's, yeah, let's just, until I'm then. Put that caveat there, just in case it happens. <laughs> until then, so researchers at MIT were actually looking at coughs for different reasons. Like I think it was it was something to do with like Alzheimer's or whatever. But they, they pivoted during the pandemic because they had this AI system that's able to differentiate between cough cough sounds. So they had tens of thousands of recordings submitted of people coughing into their phones. Um, what is really interesting about this, and I want to make really clear, they're talking about people who are asymptomatic with COVID. So people who don't show symptoms that they have, so they don't have a hot temperature and they don't you know, show these signs, but they actually do, they are carrying carriers of the virus. So they do have the virus. Um, and this is really, really important to note because 80% of people who have, have COVID are asymptomatic, right? And this is when it changed my opinion about the studies that they're doing. So um, yeah, so what we're able to do is discern asymptomatic coughs from healthy ones. And they do using biomarkers to trace this. So this is when, you know, we need more of a health expert to go into this. But they're checking for vocal cord strength, sentiment, lung and respiratory performance, and muscular degradation. So you've got all these different things that change how you cough. So <laughs> how I cough today, right? I'm like, I think I'm healthy. You're like, wow. oh, maybe, maybe not. was an not. Oscar for cough yeah. acting um, on a thank podcast. You. Thank you. I didn't want to make it loud and like, you know, disturbing. It was just a pretty one. But anyway, um, so that used a whole different... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, like, I haven't rehearsed this. Um, yep, cool. So we've got these different these different things in my body that are changing how I cough. So from my vocal cord to my lungs to all these different things. Um, and to a human ear, me coughing versus somebody who's asymptomatic with COVID, I'm assuming I'm not, but, you know, have, have that coughing at the same time, we wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But an AI system that's been trained on 100,000 coughs and many of, like, say, so many of them in the data set actually being asymptomatic, the, the AI system can check against those four biomarkers that I talked about and compare them against that. And they had a really, really high success rate. Uh, I think they got went up to, like, 89% of the coughs that they thought were Asymptomatic, were from asymptomatic. New rule for the show. New rule for the show. We don't say the word asymptomatic. We just say or Massachusetts does, does not have symptoms or is somewhere no. near Boston. See, there you uh-huh. go. These things just work. Yeah, Peter. For you, mm. what stood out to you as the most interesting thing with this with this research? Uh, it's look. It's it's a great idea, and I think anything that is able to kind of. Uh, cut down on the amount of times you need a brain poke is going to be successful no matter what. So I've seen a lot of pictures like this kind of come through over the last couple of months uh, of, you know, retina tests that are 80% accurate or temperature, slightly different temperature tests than the one we are currently doing that are slightly more accurate and able to, you know, pre-screen people so that you can get into... uh, The the use cases I keep seeing are things like, you know, being able to open up everyone to go to the MCG and just have on the way kind of cough tests or retina tests and and anyone who gets flagged has to then go get the brain poke if if they they come back with a a negative result or a positive. Um, And you you know what I mean? So so it all Mm. seems to be a way of kind of speeding up and avoiding that very unpleasant test that we've probably all had by now. Uh, and, and, and that's a good thing for me. 
I think it's brilliant if it can come through because somebody who is who doesn't show symptoms, they're not going to think they have COVID and they're not going to act as if they do. If you if you don't have a temperature and you don't have cough, like why would you? Um, and so by having a tool that's specifically for those asymptomatic people, when 80% of people who have COVID mm. are asymptomatic, that is massive. I didn't realize it was that high. That's a, that's a massive amount of people who are walking around acting as if they're fine and spreading, you know, this deadly disease with the community. And so by having a tool that you can wake up, it does, it's not hard and it doesn't hurt. <laughs> you can just cough away and yeah, good to go. Actually, Jesse, it reminds me of exactly what you said about the QR codes. As soon as it becomes available in a smartphone, in a device we carry mm. with us at all times, that's, that's when it really becomes magical. Because, yeah, all of the other pictures I've seen in this kind of space have been about the still sitting up a big tent outside the MCG or, you know, whatever it is, some kind of checkpoint. Whereas this is the device that we all have that we carry around with us at all times. Um, and, yeah, if you could... If you could not only test yourself every morning, but then also have like a little green tick on your on your phone every morning um, <laughs> that showed you that you could show to other people, then yeah, that's yeah. that's incredible. Peter, it does strike me like just listening to you guys describe ideas of you know getting your retina or your cough che- uh, checked before you walked into the MCG. It does strike me, as has struck me many times in 2020, that if we were talking <laughs> about this. In 2017, if we were talking about this mm. in 2016, it'd be like, this is the dystopian future that we were promised. By bl- <laughs> like, a lot of the things we're talking about, you know, if we talked about them in another context, it'd be like, that's scary and an invasion of mm-hmm. my biosecurity and whatnot. D- have we just tipped over? Have we have we tipped over into a different yes. mind space? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm glad. I really missed the footy, Mark. I really <laughs> missed the footy. <laughs> I think we are in a space which is just like nothing anybody could have anticipated or could have predicted because mm. the changes that are going to happen with user behavior, and this is massive when you talk about technology because you need user behavior to change or to adopt to for this technology to go forward. We're in a space where people are ready to take whatever is going to help them out, whatever's going to make their life safer, easier, so you don't have to go to a medical facility. You can just chill at home. You can have your Zoom call. You know, you've got everything is within our hands and within our reach. Um, This is a new future, which um, in terms of technology can be phenomenally exciting. And we're about to see some crazy things as our next topic discusses. (laughs) Just before we move on to the crazy topic, Peter, like, are there any... Okay. Yes, I, I I take the point that we've we've tipped over. We've decided mm. we're going to you know let all this stuff through to the keeper, as it were. Should there be things that we are concerned about or or, or wary about as we enter this this new period where we're like, take all of my <laughs> medical data that you can. Oh, totally. Who is keeping the databases, really? Because what what test today that discovers COVID might be a precursor for cancer or might be a precursor for who who knows? And, and uh, these are the kind of things that I, I guess uh, I, I really do think that, that uh, the COVID safe model, if, if there's one thing that that got right was, uh, and, and the exact same thing that the Google Apple framework does really well, is this idea that, yes, we're cr- collecting the data on you right now, but we're throwing it out after 14 days because that is when uh, it, it is no longer relevant to you. And that should be the model for a lot of this stuff. It, it needs to be uh, highly secure and highly uh, disposable because you don't want to, to leave a, a kind of genomic paper, paper trail behind you everywhere you go. Genomic paper trail may well be my favourite phrase that has ever been said <laughs> on this show. 
It's like a sci-fi detective story. Uh, download this show is what you're listening to. I'm a grown-ass adult. Uh, my name is Mark Fennell and this is Download This Show. Peter Wells, uh, tech journalist and the host of the Meta podcast. And Jesse Hughes, creative technologist, our, our guest this week. And we may be ready to hand over all of our medical details, but are we ready for holograms from beyond the grave? Uh, this oh. week, <laughs> Kanye West gave his wife, Kim Kardashian, a very special present a hologram of her dead dad for her birthday, which she duly posted on the internet because why wouldn't you? And it is the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was an interesting, uh, yeah, addition to my Instagram feed that morning. Uh, <laughs> how do they do it, Jesse? Like how do they, because it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's convincing on one level and it's deeply in that thing that they call the uncanny valley where it looks slightly too close to reality, but your brain can clearly identify that it is not real. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that on a conceptual level it's creepy, but but on a like actually just to watch it, it's creepy. So how do they actually go about doing it? So someone like you, Mark, you would be great to be a hologram because you have so much data available. So pretty much <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> so I know, I know, I'm like, I'm here we go. I'm about to scare you. I know. Um, so pretty much you need about five hundred or a thousand photos to make a really good um, data set to be able to train a machine. You have that on the internet, I'm sure. Um, so people who have been on television or have been in movies or just have content film available, they're really, really good to make data. They're really good to make um, like CGI characters out of. What's really interesting about this tech is it's actually quite like traditional filming techniques. So you have a performer. So you have an actor. You would cast an actor who is similar in the body, similar in their stance, and they would train like to, to hold and move themselves in the way that the person does. Um, and then you film them in a way that has a lot of dimensionality with it. So the lighting is really good that you're able to get these angles to make them seem quite, you know, in the space. Physical, chore- phys- physical choreography, you have a script. So, you know, you have, <laughs> you say what this person is saying you can come up with whatever you want um and then what you do is put that the data set of the real person on top of their face and so you so you're blending so you're blending like an actor with with this data set um and the machine the machine learning is able to pair them in a really really nice way and succinct you then go into holograms which is more um to do with lighting and the way that light is projected for an optical illusion um these guys who they came up the so the company um is called collider who who did the kimmy k one um and they have this new hologram platform called a holonet um which they're like touting as this like amazing like transparent you makes your audience unaware that's a hologram because with the first time we kind of saw this was with um Tupac at Coachella you know a few years back but it was kind of evident that that was a hologram but they did they did stylistically whereas the holonet are trying to prove that we can do it in a way that you don't even really know if it's a hologram or not. Like, so that's when it starts to get a bit creepy, I reckon. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, where are we moving with this? Peter, what was your first reaction when you saw it? It was creepy as hell. I, I immediately closed the browser when I saw it. it it's just, <laughs> no. and then backed away into like a hedge. <laughs> yeah, I just don't like it. I mean, it's, I don't understand. I mean, everything about it is so awful. When you break it down no. level by level, of like, I like this it. is a dead person. You are putting words in a dead person's mouth leave them alone like at a certain point just hire david schwimmer who played uh <laughs> oh yeah uh, he Kimmy's played dad in um oj yeah that, that was a much better performance like once you get to the point where it's almost believable enough if you if you just manage to see it through kind of squinted eyes or, or you know slightly out of focus maybe it would work for you but because you can that there is something about the the, the way that the human 
brain uh, rejects what is so close. It's just weird. Stop it. <laughs> you're, you're, you no. have two minutes for rebuttal. Okay, so <laughs> here we go. Paris Hilton, you know, I'm just going to throw them all in here. So Paris Hilton is actually currently investing this massive tech venture in Berlin where they're doing hyper-realistic 3D avatar scans of like celebrities and sports stars and all these like famous people because they're wanting to build these like data sets of celebrities and famous people while they're alive and who knows what's going to go ahead with it. So this is like a big thing that is happening in the celebrity tech kind of space at the moment. Something that I saw have popped up this week was of a Parkland shooting victim so back when there was that school shooting um, and the parents have now created a CGI video of their son urging urging young people to vote against gun, gun violence. And so then this is a CGI video of um, their deceased son who is now coming out and saying, please, please use my vote, be, be the voice I needed to vote against gun violence. So we're moving into this space of death tech and it gets it gets real murky because you've don't gone like into that. ethics. I, hold on, I thought th <laughs> yeah. when I said you had two minutes for rebuttal, you, the point was for you to convince me that it was not creepy, not to convince me that it could be used for even creepier things yet. Mm -hmm. I just think we are beginning to see like the tiniest beginning of of what is to come. Like I think this is going to be a giant space forward. And if you look at the people who are investing in this, they got money. <laughs> uh, look, I, I I totally am against gun violence, and I would still be creeped out if some if a shooting victim told me to vote a certain way. I don't like that at all. And and it reminds me actually, just remember the uh, years ago there were older Hollywood celebrities who were uh, mm. selling um, soda after they died. Uh, that, mm. you know, that that is exactly what it's going to be used for at the end of the day. We can say it's going to be used for all these nice, uh, warm and fuzzy things, but at the end of the day it's going to be flipping sodas and burgers at people. <laughs> but I, I guess the just... interesting thing about it is if you're a celebrity now and you're getting your face and your body scanned now, you can mm. own you can actually own the rights to that and your estate can management uh, can, can management manage it after you pass. And so I think mm. there's a potential here for you know for hugely famous people to actually own or have their their likenesses and their voices owned in perpetuity by their estate. And I think and I, I know it came up with Dolly Parton and a few bunch of other people of that kind of era. And I think I, just speaking to what, not endorsing it, but speaking to, <laughs> speaking to what Jesse was saying earlier, I could see that this is, is in effect a, a future revenue source for celebrities, I guess. I just think mm. we're going to have this massive discussion about consent and we're already starting to, you know, have it, but, but consent on what happens with your digital space, your likeness, what happens with that when you pass? Like what, what, where, where is consent in this world that we're moving into? Because things are happening without consent already. Are we going to start setting some frameworks down that go forward? It gets into the real murky of like deep fakes. We're seeing a lot of dreadful things happening there where people's images are used without their consent and without permission in really negative ways. So ethics and death tech, I think is going to be something that is going to be a real discussion that needs to be clarified, especially if we're moving into a space where, you know, Kimmy K's hologram costs, I think, Kanye hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right now that's inaccessible to the common day person. But there is lower quality versions that you can get for tens of thousands of dollars. So Christmas time's coming up, guys. <laughs> you know what to get your family. <laughs> 
that is all we've got time for on the show today. Jesse Hughes, creative technologist and the world's number one advocate for death tech. Thank you so no. much for coming back. No, that's, that's your new brand now. Oh, no. My brand is pretty. My your brand yet. is death. That's how it's going to work. That's how we end the show. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to make a lot of cash. <laughs> thank you, Jesse Hughes. And Peter Wells, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you, Mark. Uh, if you enjoyed the sound of Peter Wells' voice, can I recommend his podcast, Meta, which has now, drum roll please, become my favourite podcast ever. It is a podcast about podcasts. You can hear amazing interviews with people like Nazim Hussain, Kara Swisher, uh, Julia Gillard is in there. He gets amazing people. Uh, it is called Meta. And with that, I shall leave you. My name's been Mark Fennell, <laughs> grown-up professional as always, and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show.